You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited. Uh, Today we are wrapping up this teaching series called Go. Uh, I hope that this series has been helpful for you. Uh, If today you're just joining us, then it probably hasn't been helpful, but you can always uh, watch and catch up on our teachings online on YouTube, on our website, or on podcast. And uh, I really have been treating this, this teaching series in particular hopefully as one of those core teachings for Hill City Church. I hope that this begins to mark a new chapter in the life of Hill City Church uh, that is really defined by unleashing every disciple to make more disciples. Let's begin with a question. So you're saved, now what? There should, there should be a class after you get baptized that, that is titled by this. You're saved, okay. So you've become a Christian, now what? Now, I recognize there's likely people in the room or watching online who aren't saved yet, and I just want you to know uh, that this is the perfect place to be on a Sunday morning. And I hope that you would come consistently. I hope that you would hear the gospel consistently. But cards on the table, we're praying for you to receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, okay? You're, if you're in a church, you should know. Like, there, we, we want that for you. We want you to receive God's grace and his mercy. Uh, but today, I'm primarily going to be speaking to the people in the room who have already made a profession of faith. So just, just, just so you're aware of that. So for those of you who, who are saved, now what? I think for many Christians, we settle for this really shallow vision of the rest of our lives that goes a little bit something like this. Go to church and try your best not to sin. Just do that. I mean, if you get saved at the age of 12, just do that until you die. Go to church and try your best not to sin. And then when you do sin, you know, you pray, you might, you, you, you might repent of those things, and you know that God forgives you because the gospel is sufficient. And then you just, what do you do? You just keep going to church, and you keep trying your best not to sin. And I just want to highlight that this is where I think much of our problem in discipleship comes from, is that vision of what it means to be a follower of Christ is a far cry from the vision set forth by Christ Jesus himself that he has a purpose and a plan for you. God not only saves you from sin, death, and the devil, but he saves you for a purpose. So I hope to light a fire in you today if you've kind of settled for that typical American version of Christianity. Go to church and try your best not to sin. I hope that you would see that God has a much bigger and a much more beautiful plan for your life. Let me remind you of our disciple-making chart that we've been operating with. We've been exploring the Great Commission. And today we're focusing on teaching, specifically teaching people to obey the commands of Christ. Okay, that's what Jesus told us to do. You might say that if you're not teaching or you've never taught anyone to obey Jesus, then 
You're not obeying the Great Commission because this is a fundamental part of what it means to make disciples as you're teaching people how to follow Jesus. Last week, we looked at baptism. And really, the key point about baptism, I said it from the very beginning of the message, is baptism is a starting line, not the what? Not the finish line of faith. And this is, this is, what I, this is where we're picking up today. Okay, so you got baptized. Now what, right? And for many Christians, if they treat baptism or just you know go, getting that ticket to heaven, the get out of jail free card, the get out of hell free card, right? That, that that's all there is. If that's your vision, if that's the only, if that's the gospel that you heard, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. And uh, and so today, what I want to explore is really what does it look like uh, to to say yes to Jesus's calling, to now go and be a part of God's kingdom of light, spreading light into the rest of the world. That God wants to use you in the story of another human being, to share Christ with them, to share the gospel with them. And uh, to be honest, uh, the life that God has for you, it, it may not be characterized by health, wealth, and comfort. That's kind of the American dream, isn't it? Right? If you can stay healthy for as long as possible, if you can make a lot of money and you can live a life of ease. Uh, The life that Jesus has for you may not be characterized by health, wealth, and comfort, but it will be characterized by fulfillment, by purpose, deep, meaningful purpose, and abundant joy. It's going to be worth it. It's it's the greatest adventure that you could ever embark on, following Jesus' call to go and become fishers of men, to take up your cross daily and follow him. And so today what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking at a practical guide. So if this whole teaching series, this four-week teaching series, you've been like, I'm in. What do I practically do? Today we're gonna land the plane, okay? Like here's what you do, okay? Here's very practically speaking what you do. It's a practical guide to teaching someone how to follow Jesus. That's what we're looking at today. According to Barna, only 19% of American Christians have ever been personally discipled. That means they've been mentored, they've met with someone consistently who's poured into them. So 81%, statistically speaking, four out of five people in this room today have been relying on the programs of the church instead of the people of the church in your discipleship. And so what I'm asking you to do, and what I believe Jesus is commanding us to do in the Great Commission, is to personally go and disciple someone. For many of you in the room, maybe the majority of people in this room, what I'm asking you to do, what Christ is commanding us to do, is something that no one ever did for you. And I just wanna acknowledge that tension. That's a difficult thing. How do you do something that you've never received? And yet, I wanna give you today my top seven tips for disciple making. If you're taking notes, you can make it easy. Just a list, one through seven. My top seven tips for disciple making. I have been blessed to be one of the 19% of American Christians. I can list five uh, men's names who have spent a significant amount of time with me, meeting every week, praying with me, giving me wisdom, challenging me to grow. Some of them giving me homework to work on throughout the week. And those have been the people who have disciple-made me, okay? In my formative years, in my early 20s, the first five years of my 20s, I had five solid spiritual mentors. And I 
I've had the opportunity over the last decade, a little bit more, to go and make other disciples. I, I, I could probably list about two dozen names of young men that I have discipled personally. And so just hear me out on that. I'm not saying any of that to brag, by the way, but I'm just pointing out that much of this work of disciple making is behind the scenes. So when I say that I'm going to teach you how to teach people to obey Jesus, I'm not going to teach you how to preach a sermon today. Okay, because this is the problem. When your discipleship has been program-based, the, the way that you think, well, how can I go and help make a disciple? I guess I could go to their house with a guitar and play a few worship songs, and I'll say, hold, it, hold a minute, do you have any bread and grape juice? Okay, we'll do that next. And then uh, you can prepare a sermon. Like, do you see what I'm saying? That's the pro- this, is the, this is the problem. This is where the disconnect comes in. If we're trying to replicate the programs of the church in order to make a disciple. And so what I'm, the reason why I just share, not only have I been personally discipled by some great spiritual men, and I myself have personally discipled at least a couple dozen guys uh, in my time in ministry, uh, I'm speaking today from very much from practical experience, okay? So we're not going to go super deep dive into the text like we usually do. Uh, we're going to be using the text more as a launch pad uh, to go through these seven tips for making disciples. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you can go ahead and open there. While you're turning there, I just want to give you three book recommendations, okay? All three of these books are in our resource area, which is all donation only. So if any of these are appealing to you, you can pick one up. You can make a donation to help cover the cost. Or you can just buy it on your own, Amazon, small bookstore, whatever, you know, Kindle, whatever you do. First one uh, is, this is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. This is uh, about your own discipleship. So if you're looking for, okay, so how do I grow to become more of a mature follower of Christ? This is where I would start. There's some great accompanying resources, uh, devotional books, that sort of thing. I've read this book literally, I don't even know how many times I've read this book, but I've used this when I've discipled people as well. I'll read it, this is like one, have you read this book? No, okay, we're gonna meet each week and go through a chapter of this book. Really, really solid stuff. Uh, This teaching series, we've been looking at How to Save the World by Alice Matagora. And this is not a book about your own discipleship. This is a, a, essentially an introduction to disciple making. So if you're really eager on these seven tips for disciple making today, and you want to get a little bit more detailed, go ahead and read this book. Pick up this book. It's really, really solid. If somebody asks you to mentor them, and you're like, you want to do it, but you have no idea where to start, this is the right book to start. Just read that book. Uh, and then the other one is Raising Passionate Jesus Followers by Phil and Diane Comer. Uh, this is a book on parenting, and I try to mention this every single time that I'm talking about disciple-making, is if you have kids in your household, those are your disciples, okay? Your job, as if you're a follower of Jesus, as a parent, is not only to keep the lights on or to keep the food in the bellies or to get the kids to school on time, your job is to disciple your kids and they set, even the title, right? It's not like parenting for Christians, right? It's raising passionate Jesus followers. Not, you may disagree with some of the stuff in, in this book for parent, you know, every parent parents differently or whatever, but I love how they set forth a compelling vision of how to pass on passion for Jesus 
with your children. And uh, this is one of the best books on discipling your kids I've read. Okay, you can check out any of those books in the resource area. Let's jump into our teaching text for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? We're gonna look at three metaphors. Paul's gonna give three metaphors to the church in Corinth. The first metaphor for your discipleship is child development. Is child development. Uh, that we, we talk about plants all the time, but think about the stages of child development. You have an infant, you have, you know, you have a toddler, you have uh, a child, you have a tween or a pre-tween, you have a teenager. And the goal, every parent knows this, the goal is to help teach and train your child so that one day they can leave the house and they can flourish. They can survive on their, on their own, not to spoon feed them, not to have to change their diaper into their teenage, into their 20s, right? The goal is to equip them and empower them and train them and to see maturity. And so what Paul is doing is this is kind of a slam on the church in Corinth. He's still calling them Christians. He says they're in Christ. He addresses them as brothers and sisters in Christ, but he calls them not teenagers in Christ, not adults in Christ, as infants in Christ. And he's, he's expecting there to be more from them. He's like, I, I wish you were further along in your maturity by now. And uh, Pete Scazzaro, in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says it like this. He says, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. This is essentially the premise of emotionally healthy spirituality. And what you see at the church in Corinth is you see there's divisions. Some people favor Paul and his teachings and his disciple-making methods, and other people favor Apollos. And uh, the issue here is it's almost like two kids on the playground arguing over whose dad can beat up whose dad, right? Well, my dad can beat up your dad. Paul can, you know, he's better than Apollos, right? And what Paul is saying is he's saying, no, 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 you guys might know a lot about Jesus, and they're having, you can read this, they're having these crazy, like, spiritual, like spirit-filled worship experiences, right? So Paul's like, I'm not arguing that you're not Christians. You're just not very mature Christians. You're acting like children, quite frankly. And so what Paul is calling them out on is not necessarily spiritual maturity. He's calling them out on emotional unhealth. Have we seen any of that in the American church? in the last two years, it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy, all the fights on Facebook. It drives me crazy, the political divisions that make their way into the church, the divisions over COVID and racial tensions and all of this stuff. Christians tearing down, cutting down other Christians. It's childish. Now, Jesus told us our faith must be, we must become like a child, but he's talking about being childlike, not being childish, to be very clear. 
He's not saying that we should stay at a place of emotional unhealth or spiritual immaturity. In fact, two of the things that Paul uh, lists here in 1 Corinthians 3, jealousy and strife, are listed in the works of the flesh from Galatians 5. Do you remember Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit? The works of the flesh are like an anti-fruit of the Spirit, okay? It's a list of sins that we still need to be cleansed of. And Paul says this, Galatians 5.24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And there are some of the works of the flesh that kind of get a free pass in church, aren't there? There's like the obvious ones, like no sexual immorality, right? No lying, no steal. Like there's those ones, obvious, okay, obviously. But then there's these other ones like jealousy and strife and gossip and slander. Like all of these are still areas that we need to experience sanctification and cleansing. We need to be not only spiritually mature, but emotionally healthy. Discipleship to Jesus should not only result in someone being more holy, but should also result in that person being more loving towards other human beings created in the image of God. And, uh, and so that's what Paul is calling out the church in Corinth on. They're not being very loving. And they might even point, they're like, well, I've, you know, I've overcome this sin, I've overcome this temptation. And what Paul is saying is the work is not over yet, okay? There's this ongoing work of sanctification. This brings me to tip number one, okay, if you're taking notes. My first tip for disciple making is ask deeper questions. This alone will demonstrate the need for person-based, personal, not only program-based discipleship, because ultimately this is a one-way conversation, right? And if you only receive teaching, whether it's from a a sermon or a podcast or a book, it's only ever going to be a one-way conversation. But what you need in order to reveal the unsanctified parts of your life is you need someone to actually call you out on stuff to ask you deeper questions. And so if, you were, so if you were to go and disciple someone, whether it's in a small group format or in a one-on-one, one-on-two, a mentorship format, in either one of those uh, ways, transparent conversations are paramount, right? Transparent conversations is where the unsanctif- unsanctified parts of your life are revealed. So, and, and so this is why you don't wanna if you're mentoring someone, you don't wanna sit down at a coffee shop and just talk about the weather, or the World Cup, or your favorite Netflix series, and then leave. That's just called being friends with them, right? That's not discipling them. You must take the conversation deeper, and someone might kinda push back, and you might remind them, well listen, you're the one who wanted to grow. You're the one who wanted to meet with me, right? Do I have your permission to ask you this question? How's your marriage going? How's your dating relationship? How's your purity? What did you look at on the internet this week? Did you apologize to your kids? Because last week you were talking about how you were harsh with your kids. Did you do that this week? What's your greatest fear? Are you obeying Christ? Do you have any doubts about your faith? What are those doubts? Let's explore, let's wrestle. That's what I mean. See, I can't do that for every single person in this room during 35 minutes. Jake asked me, by the way, how long is the sermon to? I don't know why he asked me that. (laughs) 
hopefully closer to 35 minutes. But you gotta, you've got to ask deeper questions, okay? That's the, that's the first tip, pro tip for disciple making. Tip number two is talk about God's word. That's ultimately what Paul is referencing when he's talking about spiritual milk versus solid food. It's this idea that man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God, okay? And this is the nourishment uh, for our lives. And over time, if you are being discipled by someone or if you're discipling them, you should see progress in the kinds of things that that person understands about this book. And Paul's like, listen, I feel like I'm still having, if someone's brand new, like they've never even heard of Jesus, do not do an eschatological study of Revelation, right? I'm not even sure your small group should be getting into that necessarily. But you've got to start with kind of like the basic Jesus is the son of God. You've got to start with these basic, you know, like building blocks for theology. And what Paul's like, he's like, we haven't even been able to move past that yet. He's like, why have you not progressed in your understanding of this book? And so for us, we should incorporate God's word as much as possible into our discipleship. That's where the power's at. Hebrews 5.12 is a similar similar issue as 1 Corinthians 3. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. The author of Hebrews is like, you should be teaching me. But he says this, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And so I would just encourage you, not every single one of these uh, seven tips, you don't have to do every single one, every single time you meet together as a small group or in a mentorship, but I hope that these are helpful principles. Is so A lot of people have a hesitancy, well, I don't know what to say, I don't wanna give the wrong advice, just open the book. Just open the book, right? Discuss scripture, you could read a chapter of scripture, you could talk through the sermon questions, like bring a Bible, have a Bible handy on your phone, you could read through a book. I hope it, I hope if you're reading through another resource that that other resource cites scripture in that resource, don't you? This isn't some like, let's read our favorite self-help book. That's not disciple making, okay? Read through spiritual resources that point you back and in humility, would you say this line, Maybe we should look at what God's word says. When someone asks you a difficult question, instead of saying, well, let me just take my best shot at it. When you honestly have no idea, let's say, well, maybe we should look at what God's word says. And in humility, God's gonna transform that person because his word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it will not return void. Amen? Amen? All right, let's continue through our text, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's 
building. Now, there's a lot packed into here. I would encourage you to, to maybe read these verses. We're, we can't get super in-depth, but we see the second metaphor, which is not child development. It's a field, okay? This is the agriculture metaphor. It's often used in the New Testament, specifically by Christ himself. And the point that Paul is getting at by describing your faith like a field is he's saying, think of a field. Someone planted those seeds in the field, Someone else came along and watered. Someone else came along and weeded. Someone else came along and harvested. Someone else, you, know, you see the point? There's one field and different people came in and played different roles along the process till there was fruit. And the point he's making is that God causes the growth, but we can take another point away from that and, and say that God is going to bring different people in your life for different seasons of growth, and that's okay. Right? Some people are actually even especially gifted at certain stages of disciple making. Have you ever met someone, or maybe you are this person, who is really good at winning someone to Christ? But then once they start getting into the nitty gritty of like teaching them to obey or commissioning them to go and be workers and make more disciples, you're kind of like, I'm not super great at that, but I can talk to you about the gospel. There's gonna be other people who are really, really gifted at the maturing process and teaching people to obey Jesus. And there's gonna be other people who are mobilizers. They're like, get out there with me, let's go. Like, and, and moving people to action. You should come serve with me. I'm going down to the friendship meal this Thursday, right? And, and so there's gonna be different people for different seasons. And so what Paul is basically saying, he's saying don't compare those different people. Don't say that one role is more important than the other one, or you know, say, my dad, my disciple maker can beat up your disciple maker, or anything like that. <laughs> but here's what we, and we should also expect this in our own faith journey, that God is, you notice that, different workers who the Lord assigned to each. God may even be assigning you to a person for a specific season of their growth and development as a follower of Jesus. Here's tip number three, define the relationship. Define the relationship, just like dating. I know, it's awkward, right? You're like, we went bowling a few times. I don't really know where things are at. Like if you, this is very, very important for a disciple-making relationship as well. You have to define, am I discipling you? Is that what's going, like you keep asking me like, questions about advice for your life. You have to define it eventually. Uh, if you're in a small group, it's pretty easy. It's like, can I join your small group? And you're the leader and I'm part of your group. It's like, yes, you know, that's very easy. But if it's a mentorship relationship, it gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, and you need to define the relationship. And I would say this as well, set an end date from the beginning when you define the relationship. Jot that down, okay? Otherwise, either it's gonna fizzle out or one of your feelings are gonna get hurt. If you're discipling someone and you thought it was going great and then you find out someone else is now discipling them and you're like, what? Am I not good enough for you? And then, or, or the other way, right? If you're just like, you get too busy, you're discipling someone, you're too busy and you're like, hey, we had a great run. You know, I met with you every week for six months and you feel like that was a pretty good investment, which that is a pretty good investment in another person's life, and you're like, listen, I can't do it anymore. They might feel let down. Oh, too busy to pour into people. Like, you know, whatever. So just define it and recognize that a disciple making, Jesus had this. He discipled his followers for right around three years. 
There was a beginning, there was a middle, and there was an end, and that is natural. That is good. So when you define the relationship, here's four questions to ask. Why? Why does the person want to meet with you? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? Some people might say, well, I just really admire your marriage. I want to learn how to, you know, be a godly spouse. They might say, I really admire your prayer life, or I just, you know, I just have a lot of questions. I'm going through a lot of discernment, and I just want to have a sounding board, whatever it is, right? Someone might say, well, I want to learn how to study scripture. And you're like, that's great. There's a Bible study where you can study scripture. You might actually, in the why question, you might actually redirect them to someone better for them to meet with or to disciple them for that season. It's very important. Uh, you're gonna, next question you're gonna ask is when? When can we meet? You have to just like pick a day and pick a time and also pick the frequency of that time. Well, how often are we gonna meet? And this is a great opportunity to set the expectation of you need to actually show up. It's just, this is like one of the main obstacles. Well, I was at the coffee shop and no one was there, right? It's like, you got to agree. Like, we said that we agree on the frequency. Are we going to meet every week or every other week? And the only difference between every week and every other week is one of those is going to be twice as impactful for the time. You pick, right? The more, you, the more frequently you disciple someone, the more, the more impactful that time is going to become. And then where are you going to meet at your house, at the church, public space, coffee shop? Just pick a place. And then what? What are you doing when you sit down, you know, if you don't answer the what question, you're going to sit down with your coffees and be like, huh, this is nice. Isn't this nice? We're doing it. We're disciple. you know, like, are you reading a chapter from the book and you're discussing the chapter? Are you talking about sermon questions? Do you do a right now media study? Like, what are you doing? And just talk about it. So, and, and, and if you just answer those four questions, you define the relationship, you're going to be amazed at how even a three-month mentorship or a six-month or a nine-month or a year will impact someone's life. Alice Matagora says this, what does this person need to learn from me to move from where they are now toward this vision of all they could be in Christ? This is really cool because it's not just, you, you don't just sit down with someone and say, what do you want to get out of this? You also can really be discerning what specifically do you have to offer that person? Like, what does this person need? Why did God assign me to this person? Or if you're leading a small group, to this group of people so that I could help them reach that point of all that God is calling them to be. That's a, that's a vision, okay? All right. And if you do that long enough, what's going to happen is you'll move past the awkward, define the relationship, are we dating, are we not dating type stuff, to you will form some of the deepest relational bonds with someone that you've discipled. Look at how, and Paul, we can't get him wrong. In 1 Corinthians 3, he's not slamming the process of being a disciple maker. You, you might kind of read it like that. He's like, oh, what is Paul? What is Apollos? It doesn't really matter. The very next chapter, you can see he has a very high regard for what it means to play this role in someone else's life. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, the imitators of me. Does that sound like someone who is kind of minimizing the importance of discipling someone else? Obviously not, 
right? So he's targeting the fact that they're playing favorites with their disciple makers, but he still has a very high regard for this role. In fact, he views himself as a spiritual father to these people. And if you do this for long enough, you're going to, uh, if the person's your age, you might just be like a really good spiritual friend for them. Someone that they call when times are tough, years down the road. But especially if there's an age gap, you're a bit older than the person, you're going to find out that you're going to form somewhat of a spiritual parent bond with that person. All right, tip number four, pray together. We cannot neglect prayer in our disciple making. After all, you could plant as hard as you want, water as hard as you want, but it is God ultimately who causes the growth, right? And so this is, you don't want to rely too heavily on your own technique of disciple making or your own wisdom or your own you know, time together. In fact, I would say if all you do in your time uh, meeting with someone is pray, that's all you get to during that time, then you've done enough. Because ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to cause the growth in that person. Jesus said the same thing. Uh, never underestimate uh, the power of God through prayer. John 15, five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's, I mean, that line, apart from me, you can do nothing, is worth memorizing. We have a super high view of our own power and control, but especially when it comes to like, your power and control to influence another human being to follow Jesus, like, you, need, you need to be praying in those discipling meetings. You need to pray. And uh, don't forget, don't neglect prayer. I would say you know, it's okay for some of these steps. You, you don't always you know, get all seven of these tips for disciple making, but prayer is the one. I would say if you're going to make sure you do one, make sure you do step number four. Make sure you pray in your time discipling others. All right, let's continue through our text. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. Paul writes, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the third metaphor, we've moved from child development to a field, and now it's a building, okay? That, that there's this idea of setting the foundation properly on Christ and then building your life properly on Christ as well. So this is tip number five. As the disciple maker, build your life on Christ. This is one of the most important things that you can do is practice what you preach. Make sure that you build your life on Christ. Uh, they say that parenting is caught more than it is taught the same principle for disciple making, that people are going to catch what you do and how you live more than even what you say. And you might not feel super equipped. Well, I don't even know what to say or how to like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it, right? Well, that's okay. As long as you're letting the person see what you're doing in your life to follow Jesus, even if you can't verbalize it perfectly, they're going to catch the gist of it just by spending time with you. I've had a mentor before who uh, I, I never knew what to expect because I would go to his office and he was like, are, are you ready for today? And I'd be like, yes. He's like, we're going to Home Depot. And I was like, what's at Home Depot? What does God have planned for us at Home Depot? He just needed to go to Home Depot. <laughs> and it was like, we would run errands. But 
I just, I caught, the, I caught his life through that time together. Maybe you would have a little bit more structure than that. But the point is, what Jesus says about building our lives on him in Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So make sure, if you're going to teach someone to obey the commands of Christ, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, but make sure you are obeying the commands of Christ. It's the most important thing. We're talking about practical knowledge, not head knowledge, okay? Not having all the answers to all the theological questions. We're talking about you're actually living it out in your life, okay? Uh, And so, and the, the reverse is also true. Even if you say all the right things, but you don't live it, that's called hypocrisy, and it won't work. It won't work. You'll be like, I spent a year with this person, or I spent a year leading this small group, and I said literally everything right. Theoretically, even if that's true, but you lived a hypocritical life, it won't work. Because your disciples will become like you, not like what you teach. Does that make sense? It's very, very important that you build your life on Christ. Tip number six, keep each other accountable. You wanna keep each other accountable. Uh, when it comes to uh, meeting with someone. This is the shift. We need to make this shift in the church from just simply asking the question, what are you learning, to how are you living? That's the shift in accountability. Too often we've settled for, well, what, did you, what, did you, what was your takeaway from the sermon? I hope you learned stuff, okay? I hope that you are, the word mathetes is the word learner or pupil, but it's not simply that head knowledge. It's, is that person that you're pouring into living any differently? Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So how are you doing that? How are you, how are you helping the person that you are mentoring, that you are discipling, that is in your small group, Are they living any differently? And accountability is the way that that takes place. Here's how this looks with the people that I disciple, okay? Here's a little glimpse. Pull back the curtain into when I disciple someone, we share prayer requests every week and we pray every week. The other thing that we share, we started doing this a few years ago, is we share action steps. Say, I want everyone to pick one action step that the Holy Spirit is leading you to this week. Because if you have to share an action step, it assumes that the Holy Spirit is calling you to action, to walk by the Spirit, to do something differently, to obey Christ, whatever you wanna call it. But it's not just, everyone tell me what you're learning this week, it's how is the Holy Spirit calling you to live differently? And you wanna know what happens the next time we meet? So how did everyone do with your action step? And sometimes people will be like, I didn't even try. It's like, okay, that's your action step for today. Do the one that you said last week. And that's literally what accountability is. It's when someone says, this is what I'm gonna do, and you get the opportunity to link arms with them and say, I'm gonna keep you accountable to doing what you said the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. There's not nearly enough of this in our, sm- in our small groups, in our mentorship meetings. It's more like, what are you learning? How intellectually are you growing? It's, we need to be assuming that we're works in progress, that God is always leading us to good works, and we're actually gonna motivate and encourage. And accountability doesn't have to be negative, by the way, because I can tell you when every single person in my group shares an action step, and the next week, every single person did that action step, that's a celebration. 
You know, we kind of have this negative perspective of accountability, like it's just like we sit around and we're like, yeah, I'm a huge failure. It's not working out, but it can actually be this thing where God is growing, that's what fruit is. God is growing fruit as there's life change and actual decisions to obey the Holy Spirit every day. All right, number seven. This is the last one, right? Do we do all, all seven? Okay, number seven is trust God with the growth. Ultimately, I think that's the main point that Paul is uh, discussing here in 1 Corinthians 3. And this is very important as a uh, disciple maker, is it is going, I'm just gonna prep you for this. Not everyone that you disciple is gonna turn out great. I can tell you this after discipling a couple dozen people. Sometimes disciple making feels like two steps forward, one step backward. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward, three steps backward. But what we have to do in those moments is recognize that it is God who's causing the growth. What can you do in those moments? You can continue to pray, but you can also recognize that the outcome is not on your shoulders, okay? You have to learn to separate yourself, your your identity from the work that you're doing for God's kingdom. In Matthew 28, I wanna encourage you with the final line of the Great Commission. We we don't wanna neglect this line where Jesus says, he's given this tall order, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, teach them to obey how much? Everything, everything, all my commands. You're like, I don't even know if I could list all the commands of Christ, but you gotta somehow teach someone else how to do it, right? Huge, tall order. And then he reassures the disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Is it the end of the age yet? No, so Jesus is still with us in his Holy Spirit. He's with you. He will guide you. Remember, these are God's children. It's his harvest. What kind of building is God building? He's building a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? God is invested in the idea of you discipling someone else. He wants you to succeed. He wants the person to grow. He's on your side. So keep trusting Jesus with the growth and rely on him every step of the way. The name of this teaching series is called, what is it called? Go. Just to remind us how we began four weeks ago by talking about core in our identity as followers of Jesus is people who are sent. He sends us. But here at the end, what I want to highlight is God is not necessarily sending you to a place. He's sending you to a person. And I want to ask you this question just to tie it all together. Who is God sending you to? Everyone say who. Who is God sending you to? Not necessarily where, right? We, we think where, we're thinking geography, we're thinking places, and God might send you to a place, but ultimately, he's not sending you to that place. He's sending you to a person. And I believe that the Lord has assigned a person to every single one in this room. Every single one of us. Every one of us who is a disciple. This is the now what? You're saved, now what? Now God is sending you to go and to share your faith and to strengthen someone. And that might look like that very first initial step of evangelism, sharing the gospel with someone who's not a believer. That might look like helping grow someone who's new or young in the faith, and you're gonna help them learn the spiritual disciplines. You're gonna help them learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and temptation. That might look like mobilizing other, other followers of Christ to get out there and be workers in the harvest, whatever that looks like to you. I just wanna ask you this question, who is it? 
Maybe you know right now. If you don't know, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal who. God, who are you sending me to? Uh, did anyone receive one of these Christmas Eve invite cards? You can show me if you, if, you got, if you got one. Okay, got a few. You can grab these on the way out. I want every single person to leave with this Christmas Eve. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in here, isn't it? And, uh, and I love Christmas time, but one of the beautiful things about Christmas time is there's an openness. Time and time again, there's an openness for someone who is not yet uh, a part of church to attend because there's candles and there's cookies and it's like Christmas songs are basically worship songs, right? Like, and it's just like, there's familiarity and there's this like, well, you know, I know I like hate the church, but I'll go to church at Christmas. Like there's that. And here's what I would say to you. We have service times at 3, 4.30, and 6. Christmas is one day short of a month from now. It's less than a month till Christmas Eve, okay? That just blew your mind right there. <laughs> Who is God sending you to give this card to? And I, I hope that you would pray and ask God to even put a, a picture in your mind or a name on your heart God, who are you sending me to give this card to? And would every single person in this room walk out of here? And you don't have, like, you can give them this card. We printed over 2,000 of these, so there's enough if you want more than one. You're more than welcome to take a huge stack of these if you want. You can invite them online. You can share a Facebook event, or you can text them, or you can, you can use the card if it's a helpful tool. That's why we get these, it's a helpful tool for you. But I hope and I pray that if that person is the person that God is calling you to disciple, it might start with an invitation, but I hope it doesn't stay there. I hope that you don't think, well, I did it. I handed them, it was the barista. And I was like, here's a $1 tip in the cart. No, give them like more than a dollar. Anyways, you give, you give it to the barista and maybe they come and you're like, I did it. That's, that's not the end. There's a relationship. There's a, there's a, would you invite them over for New Year's? Would you invite them out to coffee? Say, I know you haven't, you told me you hadn't been to church in a really long time. What was it like? Was it weird? Did you hate the pastor? You can tell me, I won't tell him, right? And just continue that journey. Disciple making takes time. And it might start with a simple invitation to Christmas Eve, but I hope that it doesn't stay there. Imagine if every single one of us would go with Jesus. And we went and we listened to the Holy Spirit. We would see a move of God in our city. Let's stand as we worship our King. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.